Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Is that all you got? Okay. Uh, good morning to everybody online. Glad you're watching here. Thanks for joining our live stream webcast. Uh, grateful for you uh, along the way. If you're here in the room uh, or if you're at home uh, and you have feedback for us, you can let us know that you're watching or uh, you can let us know about a prayer request or if the sermon uh, prompts a question in you uh, that you would like to ask, feel free to either send an email to info at heritagepark.org or uh, you can send a text, uh, just grab your phone or device, whatever it is, <clears throat> send this text to 833-520-0764. Again, 833-520-0764. We're grateful that you're here in the room, grateful that you are joining us online. My name is Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. We are going to open to the book of Daniel chapter 8. And so if you have your Bible, you can feel free uh, to grab that. Um, if uh, you're a user of the Bible app, then by all means, feel free to open up your app. You can find our live event, track along with the scriptures and sermon notes and so forth. Uh, there's also other information there. There's a uh, link that will uh, get you to our giving page. If you give online, if you're in the room and tend to or want to give in person, we've got a box back there that we will make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Let's jump in. Uh, to Daniel chapter 8. Now, um, I want to do just this much of review from last week. Everybody good for just a touch of review from last week? Uh, we are in the section of Daniel that is called apocalyptic literature. Um, it is uh, difficult for us to understand uh, in part because uh, it is very foreign to us. Good news, it wasn't near as foreign to those then as it is to us now. There was a whole body of literature from that time frame that is uh, apocalyptic in nature. And uh, along with that um, comes a, a certain shape uh, that is that is present, and so it has a plot, and it has certain characters, images, the use of it or, or not use of it. That can be one of the things that stands out. It has a certain shape to it. We're very unfamiliar with that shape, and because we are, it sounds very, very strange to us. And then, lastly, uh, that the power of it lies in its purpose, uh, not in its predictions, okay? So its purpose is to encourage every one of us who hears the words uh, from last week, from today, as we move forward through the book of Daniel, uh, the power is actually in its purpose, that we, uh, what, is, uh, what apocalyptic literature is designed to do is to encourage us to live faithfully to Jesus to the very end. Whatever that end looks like, whatever beasts come, or go, uh, whatever situations come, whatever situations go, whatever storms form in the Gulf, or don't, um, that we live faithful, uh, that we live faithful to Jesus. That's where its power lies. Uh, uh, last week we said that the danger is to, that we have a one-to-one -one correspondence. Um, I said last week that we can only really do that when um, the Bible allows us to, and it's going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but chapter 8 is one of the places where it allows us to, and so we're going to do some one-to-one -one correspondence. Uh, this is the picture that we painted last week. Uh, again, high art here. This is high-quality stuff. Um, and uh, Daniel is on the far left there experiencing this apocalyptic literature in one way. You and I, we're um, uh, at a little bit different place. So we have a different perspective on how we're seeing this. And through the lens of history, we're able to understand um, some of the things that went on in Daniel chapter 8 uh, with even more clarity than the text specifically provides. But the truth is, is that you and I are dead in the middle of this experience. 
We are in the experience of uh, um, living out and seeing things happen, things change, situations come, situations go, empires rise and empires fall. And we don't always have the full picture, but what we know is that God is in control and we can trust him and should trust him um, while we are living in Babylon, the place of chaos and crazy. So uh, before we dive into Daniel chapter eight, we're going to read the whole thing. I'll make some comments along the way. Uh, but as I read and read and read and read and read Daniel chapter eight over and over and over and over again in preparation for uh, this sermon, I thought I, you get to the end and you kind of have the aha moment. But I thought it would actually help us to have the aha moment beforehand. So can we do that together? Um, th this is a chart that I put together for all of you engineers in the room and for all you engineers watching at home. Here's a chart. Um, this, this spans about 400 years or so of history. I want to give you this aha moment so that when we read the text, it will make a lot more sense to you the first time through instead of getting to the end and then going back and going, oh, aha, that's what it was. Okay, so here we are. Uh, the part of the dream is described on the left. Uh, the time frame that it references is in the middle, and then the situation that it is pointing to is on the far right. So on the far left here, uh, we've got a ram. Uh, <clears throat> right about 535 or so uh, BC. Uh, this is the rise of the Persian Empire. We'll see that here in the text in just a moment. The, the Medes and the Persians uh, joined forces. Um, it created a new empire. Ultimately, the Persians were stronger than the Medes, so they fully took over the rise of the Persian Empire. Uh, the goat, we will see also, represents Alexander the Great, um, <clears throat> about 333, depending upon who you ask, 333 BC. Alexander leaves uh, Greece, um, northern Greece there, Macedonia, and he travels all across the, uh, basically from northern Greece to India at the time. So it is, a, it is a long stretch, and he does it in a very swift manner, conquers the Persian Empire. Um, he um, uh, gets sick right at the height of his power and dies 10 days later. So if you have a, a, an empire that goes from you know, kind of the, the Western known world at the time to the Eastern known world. And then you have the ruler of that empire who dies in 10 days. How much of a succession plan do you think is in place? Anybody? Not much, which is exactly what happened uh, <clears throat> there. Right after he dies, uh, the Greek kingdom or empire is divided into four. Four generals take over different sections. One of them takes Greece. One of them takes what is modern day Turkey. One of them takes the Middle East and one of them takes Egypt. And uh, that division uh, lasts for about 150 plus years, a little bit longer maybe. Um, and then in the, that's the four horns we'll see um, in the vision. And then the little horn who arises is a particular ruler um, from the Middle East. He exalts himself. Uh, his name is Antiochus. I learned something this week for 25 years. I've been pronouncing his name wrong. I'm not worried about him coming back and whipping me or anything. I'm just telling you, I did learn that along the way this week. Um, Antiochus IV, uh, he renames himself to Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes is the Greek word for God made manifest. Seems like he might have a touch of an ego problem. We'll talk and see what happens here in just a minute. The little horn. Okay, so <clears throat> everybody clear on your history. We good so far? All you at home, give us a thumbs up from home. Perfect. Here we go. Daniel chapter 8. Uh, I just I want to put four truths before us as the text unfolds here, as the story unfolds, and make a pastoral application of each truth. Here we go, verse 1. In the third year of the, of the king, rule of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me 
Daniel. Belshazzar was the Babylonian, the last Babylonian emperor. So this is about 10 years or so before what Daniel sees is going to happen. It's two years after the vision that he had in chapter 7 after that, which appeared to me, he says at the first. Verse 2. And in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel. Susa is one of the strongholds of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah is in Susa when all this stuff happens with him. Uh, which is in the providence, uh, uh, excuse me, providence, province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, I was at the Ulai uh, Canal. Um, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward, northward, and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue uh, who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and he became great. So remember our ram is the rise of the Persian empire. There's two horns because it's the Medes and the Persians. The Persians ultimately take over. Our second horn is bigger than the first. Aren't you glad we did the chart first? Are you, who's with me on this? Yeah, okay, good. <clears throat> Verse five, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the West across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So if you've got a goat not touching the ground as he moves eastward from the west, what's he doing? That, that goat is moving very, very fast, right? He is, I mean, we would say colloquially, he's flying. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Alexander conquered um, the Persian Empire uh, in, a, in such a swift manner. It had not been seen up to this point in recorded world history. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. So really, for you kids in the room, for you watching at home, he's a unigoat. I mean, like he's got a, like a, you know what I mean? Like a, I don't know. I I don't know how to picture that, except that's how I picture it. Verse six, he came to the ram with his two horns, which I had been seen, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Alexander got sick and he died 10 days later. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So here, here's our... Here's our story. Here's the history that we've had, and, and Daniel sees this uh, in this vision. Um, and the first th- truth that I want to just set before us, this thought that I want us to have in our minds as we engage the text, and, and how we want to be encouraged, how the Bible is at work to encourage us, is simply this. Situations in our world, they change. Daniel started in Jerusalem, chapter 1, He uh, ends up in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 2, kind of lives through all of that, um, sees um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar die, his replacements come and they go. He's ultimately under Belshazzar, the last one of, of um, of the Babylonian Empire, but sees himself in Susa, this Persian stronghold. He sees himself in a different city at a different time. And then the rest of the vision covers, I mean, that's about 10 years from when Daniel is dreaming. The rest of the vision covers hundreds of years, centuries from where Daniel is standing in this moment. Situations change. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires rise and empires fall. Rulers come 
and rulers go. Rams come up and then they go away and goats, unigoats even show up, weird looking things show up and they go and, uh, and um, elephants come and they go and donkeys come and they go. It's 2020 people. You thought we came here to talk about Daniel. Daniel came here to talk about us. Situations change. And pastorally, here's where I think the question is for you and for me. Have you found your fortitude? It's not necessarily a word we use all the time, but it is the gumption inside of you that says no matter what, um, rams, goats, this, that, global pandemic, everything's great, hurricanes, no hurricane, no matter what, elephants, donkeys, whatever, I am going to continue to trust God here in whatever chaos is my life. Situations change. The challenge for us, I think, in this day and age is if we put our trust in something that is consistently changing, we will find ourselves sorely disappointed at what a Savior it isn't. Can I say that again for us? If we put our trust in something that consistently changes, the only thing about our world is that it consistently changes. If we put our trust in that, we will be sorely disappointed in the Savior that we thought it was, but it is not. Situations change. And we need a kind of fortitude that says it may be bad, it may get bad. Genuine suffering, genuine pain may indeed come. But I, I can continue, we as a people can continue to live faithfully even in the middle of that because Jesus is worth it and he wins in the end. I don't think we should throw our hope onto something so temporary and so transient. Situations change. Rams, goats, elephants, donkeys, Jobs, diagnoses, situations change. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Talking about the people of Israel. Verse 10. It grew great. This is referencing Antiochus the fourth, Antiochus Epiphanes, even to the host of heaven. So what's he doing? He's exalting himself. Whenever the Bible talks about the hosts of heaven, um, it talks uh, about it in two ways, but really they're parallel ways. It talks about the stars, uh, the literal stars that are out there. But um, those stars in the, in the biblical worldview represented um, uh, spiritual realities, forces, if you will, that are at work. So he grew great, even to the hosts of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, he threw down to the ground and trampled them. He, he put the people of God under his feet, it says, verse 11. And it became great, even as great as the prince of hosts. So he's exalting himself. I am Epiphanes. I am God made manifest. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Um, Antiochus, one of the things that he did was he went into Jerusalem and slaughtered a pig on the altar of the temple. Because he was, he was severely oppressing the people of God. Verse 12, and a host will be given over to it together with a regular burnt offering. Because of this transgression, he will throw truth to the ground. Indeed, he took copies of the Torah and uh, threw it on the ground and burned them. It, he will act, this, this little horn will act and it will prosper. And then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering? 
the transgression, transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. He said to me, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored to its rightful state. Um, here's the second truth I just want to, again, set before us, that there are spiritual powers that are real and at work in realms that we don't always see or understand. There are spiritual powers that are real. If I am... Um, uh, of the kingdom of darkness. If I'm Satan and I want to create chaos in the world, I am certainly going to go to work in individuals, but I'm also going to go to work in systems, political systems in particular, to try to create as much chaos and oppression as possible. And this is why in the biblical mind, it is not one or the other, but both. Personal evil and systemic evil, they run together because these are spiritual forces that are real, that are at work in the unseen realms. Spiritual powers are real. Uh, the, the political provocations here of, of Antiochus IV have spiritual parallels, and that's just how people in the Bible think. And um, they even talk about it this way. And so don't, don't turn there. You can jot it down if you're a note taker. Um, this is Isaiah chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 12. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Listen to how he starts. Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Interpreters have long said, hey, this is, this is a description of the satanic rebellion. Ah, Satan is in heaven. He's like, ah, you know, God, you're not doing it right. I'm going to make myself, I'm going to take your throne. I'm going to put myself in your place. And so God cast him out. This is um, how interpreters have, have done this. And there's another passage in Ezekiel 28 similarly. But here's the thing. That is addressed specifically in Isaiah 14. It's addressed to the king of Babylon. So you have a satanic rebellion being described poetically about the king of Babylon. Do you see that there are political things that are happening, but there are spiritual parallels that are real? Spiritual powers are real. Paul, he doesn't say it poetically. Uh, says it in a way that uh, maybe uh, we as Westerners might understand a little bit uh, more easily. Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to this. This is verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our real enemy is not anybody that you can touch. But we wrestle against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What, 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 is, what is Paul saying there? There are spiritual forces at work, spiritual powers that are real. And we need to recognize and locate. If we're going to fight, let's recognize and locate where the fight really needs to take place in the spiritual realm. So pastorally then, this comes down for you and for me something like this. The way that I would ask it is, um, how then are you committed to using your freedom? 
in our cultural moment, I see a lot of conversation about liberty and our rights and this kind of thing. The Bible talks about liberty and freedom very differently than uh, in our, because liberty and rights in our moment and the way that we talk about it is, this is my way, my, my uh, uh, right, if you will, to self-expression. The Bible, though, talks about freedom as my opportunity for service. Do you hear the difference? In our political climate, in our cultural climate, the conversation is, hey, this is, this is my opportunity. This is my right to self-expression. In the Bible, it talks about this is my opportunity for service. So write this down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says this. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, serve one another serve one another. And so the freedom that we have is a spiritual freedom that was not given to us by the government and it can't be taken away by the government. The spiritual freedom that we have was given to us by Jesus and it is an opportunity for us to serve those who are around us. Thirdly, picking up at verse 15 now. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Behold, There stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Daniel's sitting there scratching his head going, I have no idea what's going on. So he said, Gabriel, go tell that boy what's going on. So Gabriel, the angel, shows up, verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Just so you know, if Gabriel, the angel, ever shows up, you'll freak out too. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So he's, he's saying this is still out there in the future. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Has anybody ever been so overwhelmed about the things that are happening? They're like, I got to go take a nap. This is Daniel. This is where he is. Verse 15. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 19. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of this indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. So the Bible is giving us the one-to-one correspondence. That's why we feel good about doing it right here. Verse 21, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king, Alexander the Great. Uh, as for the horn, verse 22, as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this sanction, but not with his power. So here's what I want to tell you about uh, the, the third thought as I read through this. this. This truth. God's word is true, folks. God's word is true. He's giving Daniel this vision, and then centuries later, what God said was going to happen actually happens. Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean it's not true. What did Daniel want to do? Daniel's like, man, this is so jacked up. I'm going to go take a nap. That's what I need. And, and I just say to you, there are parts of the Bible that even I, I, I mean, I've been at this a long, long time, studying the Bible for a long time and trying to help people understand it. There are parts of the Bible that I don't understand. I don't understand everything that's happening in Daniel. But here's the thing. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not true. And furthermore, I'll go one step further. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that God's not smarter than I am. He knew what was coming. He knew how it was going to shake out. In fact, he was using those things to set the world up so that the Roman Empire would come to power right at the time where the Bible describes it as the fullness of time so that he could insert himself into history and send Jesus the Messiah. 
He's guiding all of this to that moment. God's word is true. What he said would happen did happen. But further, um, we don't have to have the whole story, folks, to know that it's a true story. Daniel only had one little snippet, only 400 years here of history. And even that part, he didn't understand. But what he didn't know is that 150 years after the vision ended, the Messiah would come. We don't have to know the whole story to know that it's a true story. And God right now is writing some things. And we don't have to know the whole thing. We don't have to understand every little um, aspect of it to know, God, you're telling a true story. And so here's what I want to say to you. Um, this is not a code to be broken, folks. It is a story to, uh, that God has invited us to live in. And you can step into that story and let God use you um, to live this out in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your, the places where you We'll get to go. So pastorally, here's the question. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? I, I would plead with us as a church family, those of you watching at home, I would plead that our focus be right here. Right here. God's word is true. And let's put our focus on this. Well, I don't understand all of it. That's fine. It's still true. Start living out the parts that we do understand. That'll, that'll take us a long, long way, won't it? God's word is true. And because it's true, if we can have our focus right here, man, it would not only do us good, but it would do the world some good. One of the things I think that, that we need to hear, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, and he says this, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. It's like Paul was looking into 2020 and speaking to God's people. Can anybody think of any ignorant or foolish controversies right now that breed quarrels? You've only thought about it for five seconds. You've got to list 20 things long. Or you can open your phone and look at your social media. There they are right there. I'm all for speaking the truth when it needs to be spoken. But most of the time, the things that we uh, um, are invited into are simply distractions from the things that we should be focused on. Where is your focus? Let's put our focus right here and let's avoid, let's, let's just set aside all these foolish, ignorant controversies that just take energy and, and uh, demand our attention and result in our frustration. They just breed quarrels, people. Let's set all this aside. Last thing, starting in verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, he's talking about Antiochus IV, who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. What does he mean? He means spiritual forces are real. Spiritual forces are real. And so we need to, to recognize that there are spiritual things at work. He shall uh, be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and succeed. Don't miss this. And succeed in what he does. The bad guy looks like he's winning. He shall destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. And by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. <laughs> oh, man. How true is that? Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken. 
Because when you pick a fight with God, you take the ill. Am I right? Verse, he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Verse 26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. I, Daniel, was overcome, lay sick for some days, and then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision. I did not understand it. Last thing I just want to say, a truth that we need to hold on to is simply this, that God is in control, folks. God is in control. It looked like, I mean, it made Daniel sick to think about it. It looked like the world and the chaos was spinning so crazy. The little horn had exalted himself and was uh, uh, oppressing the people of God and done all this terrible stuff to the temple and how it unfolded there. We'll talk maybe more about it in our uh, Dig a Little Deeper video this week, but just how it unfolded there and all the horror that was released there and how the Jewish people responded to that. Man, listen, it looked like it was spinning out of control. It looked like 2020. Out of control. But God was in control the whole time. And he was actually using even what was happening that seems contrary to what God wants. He was using for his purpose to bring about his desired ends. Or to say it a little more succinctly. God sometimes allows what he hates in order to bring about what he loves. Some of you are facing things that you know God is not happy with, but he just might very well be using that to bring about something that he loves in your life. We in our world, we may be walking through some things that God is not so happy about, but he will let those things happen in order to bring about something that he loves. And secondly... Because God is in control, we can trust this, that he, God, has an appointed end. God has, there will come a day when he will put a period at the end of this sentence of the evil and the brokenness in our world. He is not going to let it go on forever. 2,300 days here, some people have arguments about whether that was literal or kind of figurative, whatever. But the truth is, is that Antiochus Epiphanes died. And the kingdom of God is still going He will put an end to the evil and brokenness in our world. Our personal monsters will come, they they will be cut down to size. The the big global hairy monsters, they will be cut down to size. And so here's the question, pastorally, how are you doing with your fear? How, How are you doing with your fear? One of the things I think in our moment, our cultural moment, is that Fear um, is consistently being injected into the conversations and into the cultural narrative. And so it keeps things spinning. It keeps things bubbling. And, and, uh, and if we, the people of God, could just say, hey, man, God is in control. I can rest in that. Then we don't have to live in the um, ever-growing uh, cycle or even spiral of fear that comes our way. We don't have to participate in that. How are you doing with your fear? Are you handling it? Or is it handling you? It could be big things that you're worried about. It could be personal things that you're worried about. How are you handling your fear? God's in control and he's not going to let this go on forever. He, he simply won't. Antiochus went into the temple, slaughtered a pig on the altar, thought he had finally conquered. I have gotten my hands on the God of Israel and this thing is done. 
But he didn't have his hands on the God of Israel. He didn't. He didn't. People throughout history have tried to do that. They've tried to control God. And what do they find out? They can't control God. God's not there in a building that Antiochus can come in and, and um, degrade. And all of a sudden, oh, God's just at his, in the heavens just wringing his hands going, oh, I can't believe he did that. In fact, the one time that God did allow them to lay hands on him, they killed him. And they thought they had won. But he rose three days later. And that's our great hope as Christians. It is going back to our summary statement from last week. We'll probably see this a lot, but you and I, we can, no matter what situation changes, no matter what spiritual powers are at work, and no matter how things are at work and we're questioning God's control or trying to understand how he's at work here, you and I, we can stay faithful to the end. Why? Because Jesus wins. He wins. He wins. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, I just want to invite you. This is the moment for you to do so. You can send an email or a text to that number, 833-520-0764. If you're watching from home and you're thinking, man, that sounds like a God that I want to follow, um, you send a text to that number right now. We would love to uh, follow up with you and have those conversations about what it means to know and to follow Jesus. He will forgive you of your sin. He will come into your life and take over, and you will get to live with him forever. That's the promise of the risen Jesus. That's the promise of the conquering king. You and I, we can stay faithful to the end because Jesus wins. If you are here and you have prayer requests this morning, send an email or a text, 833-520-0764. If you just need to reach out and let us know that something's happening, send that same email or text. We'd love to, uh, to hear back from you. What I want to have here for just a moment is just, just a quiet moment just a quiet moment to reflect and say, God, what did you say to me? And some of you are already, you're clear on what he has said to you. You may need to say some things back to him. I just want to give us a quiet moment to do so. Let me start us in prayer. I'll let you finish it. And then we'll have a song of response.